I signed a memorandum to propose regulations to ban all devices that turn legal weapons into machine guns. Well, bully for you, Mr. President. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. New Orleans, WHIV. In Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on the great AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, amongst other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and internet-based. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, here with another action-packed, thrilling broadcast, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Thank you very much for joining us today. Boy, howdy, was I uh, happy that uh, Monday was President's Day, <laughs> uh, particularly after uh, reading the headline over at TPM, uh, Donald Trump attacks congressional Democrats, the FBI, uh, his own national security advisor, H.R. McMaster, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Congressman Adam Schiff, others. That was the headline. Uh, That was before Donald Trump then decided to attack Oprah Winfrey on President's Day before hitting the links to play golf just miles from where the families of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School kids were were beginning to bury some of the 17 victims of last week's mass shooting in Parkland, Florida. So, yeah, uh, didn't mind taking that day off at all. Plus, I was a little under the weather, so uh, there was another excuse for you. Uh, good to be back today, though, and we are back with uh, Desi Doyen. You have our ninth anniversary Green News Report coming up yeah. in a little bit. Nine years. Still at it. Still haven't fixed the climate, <laughs> have Still you? trying to save the world. Good luck with that. Uh, we need it. Um, speaking of which, we maybe got a little bit of help from the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court. They released a new redistricting... U.S. House map on Monday for the state of Pennsylvania after previously finding the one in use since 2011 to have been a partisan gerrymander in violation of the state constitution. And with early primary voting already underway in the state of Texas right now, today, as of today for this year's primary uh, and voting beginning in March in Pennsylvania, 
those uh, that new map in Pennsylvania comes not a moment too soon in the Keystone State, according to analysts. Those new maps alone could account for at least four Democratic pickups in the U.S. House. We will speak to redistricting expert Brian Amos about what the maps mean, what they don't momentarily. But first, um, picking up where we were on uh, on a couple of stories we were covering on Friday. First, this just in right before airtime. Donald Trump has ordered the Justice Department on Tuesday to propose regulations to ban so-called bump stocks, which can convert a semi-automatic weapon into an automatic weapon like the one used last year in the massacre of concert goers in Las Vegas. Actually, I should say like the ones used last year in that massacre in Vegas. That killed 58 and wounded some 500 others in a matter of minutes. And uh, and in a hail of gunfire that was essentially machine gun fire into the crowd. At the time, there was a very brief bipartisan effort to ban bump stocks, you'll recall, before the matter was then taken up for review by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives. At which time, as I noted on this show, that meant that Republicans in Congress would be very happy because they don't even want to allow it to come up for a vote. Because if the ATF bans these bump stocks, they won't have to vote on it at all. And their sponsors at the National Rifle Association do not want them to vote on anything that harms gun sellers in this country in any way. No matter how much it harms the country Uh, It's people and it's school children and concert goers. All of them apparently can be damned. Speaking of the White House on Tuesday, just days after that mass shooting at the Florida high school last week that killed 14 uh, students and three teachers. Trump said that he had directed A.G. Jeff Sessions, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, to develop the regulations, sidestepping the ongoing review Though he lied about that part as well in his comments, uh, he said this step would prevent future mass shootings. Here's Trump just uh, just a few minutes before air today. After the deadly shooting in Las Vegas, I directed Attorney General to clarify whether certain bump stock devices, like the one used in Las Vegas, are illegal under current law. That process began in December, and just a few moments ago, I signed a memorandum directing the Attorney General to propose regulations to ban all devices that turn legal weapons into machine guns. I expect that these critical regulations will be finalized, Jeff, very soon. So I'm uh, not sure what was up with that labored breathing uh, in his comments. There. Who knows? He has, seems to have difficulty reading these days. Uh, So please note, uh, he has not banned bump stocks. He has signed a memo to have the attorney general propose regulations that might eventually someday ban bump stocks. He was speaking on Tuesday, even as a a bureau official uh, at uh, ATF uh, told a reporter at The New York Times that the review that Donald Trump said uh, suggested there had been completed now. He suggested it. He didn't say as much. It was kind of confusing to what he was saying. The review is is still ongoing, but uh, this memorandum apparently on Tuesday would effectively short circuit that review, I guess, and begin the regulatory process, which, as we've 
talked about many times on the Green News Report, is a long, drawn-out process. Yeah, and for good reason. It's supposed to prevent the federal government from rushing into willy-nilly regulations. But in this particular case, that means that first DOJ has to write those regulations, which takes a number of months. Then there will be a public comment period, and then they'll revise those, and then there'll be another public comment period, and then they'll issue the final regulation, and then the lawsuits will begin. So we're talking a minimum six months uh, to have any of this occur. In the meantime, bump stock manufacturers will likely be making a pretty penny as folks rush to buy them, assuming they'll be banned. And in the meantime, Congress could go out today and vote to ban bump stocks. Yep. It could be signed tonight by the president, and that would be that. Right. But that is not the route they are taking. Um, so we'll be uh, keeping our eyes on that. Uh, but a point I wanted to get to, uh, but we ran out of time on Friday following that mass shooting at uh, Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland. We, the, the, the shooter there, the alleged shooter uh, who has now confessed to it, says uh, he was a 19-year-old and he legally purchased what we now know to be at least 10 semi-automatic weapons over the past year alone. He was able to do this in Florida without a problem. He used an AR-15 military-style semi-automatic rifle to shoot dozens at the school last Wednesday. And as Ryan Karnowski noted at Think Progress, uh, the Parkland school shooting once again has opened up a national debate about how easy it is to buy assault weapons in the U.S. He notes this country has the highest rate of civilian gun ownership in the world, with Yemen coming in second. We are not number one in much else, not in education, not in health care. But hey, we're number one in gun ownership and gun deaths. Koronoski uh, writes that a, a familiar debate has also s- surfaced. Is it easier to buy a gun or to vote? He notes the truth in most states. It's easier to purchase a gun than it is to vote. In 2013, a Think Progress analysis found that while in every state, every state, you need proof of ID to vote. Remember, it is federal, federal law. When you register to vote, you must show an ID And if you don't, you'll be flagged and you'll have to show one before voting at the polling place in every state, all 50 states. Keep that in mind when Republicans are trying to make it harder to vote by passing more restrictive IDs. Oh, you can't use that ID. You can only use this. Uh, In any event, um, so you need uh, proof of ID to vote in all the states. In 39 states, you can buy an assault rifle at a gun show or online without any background check and with no proof of ID at all. About 40%, 40% of gun purchases in the U.S. happen through this gun show loophole. And, of course, Florida is one of those 39 states where you need an ID to vote but not to buy an assault weapon. The uh, 19-year-old shooter could not legally buy a drink, but he could legally purchase the AR-15 semi-automatic-style rifle that was used in that shooting, the same type of gun used in massacres at Sandy Hook, Aurora, San Bernardino, Las Vegas. The list goes on and on. It was easier for the shooter to buy a gun in Florida because Florida gun laws make it easy to buy guns. You don't need a license or registration to own a gun in the Sunshine State. Assault weapons are completely unregulated. For rifles and shotguns, you do not need a permit to conceal carry. 
You can buy as many guns at one time as you want, and a gun seller in Florida needs no license to sell guns in the state. Federal law requires licensed gun sellers to complete a background check before selling a gun. Unlicensed or private sellers, they're free of that requirement under both federal law and Florida law. Voting, on the other hand, is getting way harder. And it's because Florida has made it harder to register to vote for years now. The state even refused to extend the voter registration period while millions were fleeing Hurricane Matthew back in 2016. Remember that? Florida is just one uh, is one of just a few states that permanently bar felons from voting. But this year, voters will vote on a constitutional amendment that would change that. Uh, They'll have to get more than 60 percent approval to change that in the Constitution since it's a constitutional amendment. And the 1.5 million former felons who have served all of their time, paid their penalties, they won't be allowed to vote uh, in that measure. Nonetheless, uh, Floridians have endured reduced early voting hours in recent years, voter purges, voter registration restrictions. Florida has no online voter registration in place, unlike most other states at this point, to vote on Election Day in Florida. In fact, you must present some form of photo identification. So not just for registering, but also when you go to vote. But the good news is one form that is allowed is a license to carry a concealed weapon. That'll help you vote. You'll be able to use that if you want to vote. For those who purchased a handgun from a licensed seller in any event, Koronowski goes on to note, it is easier to buy a gun than do many things in America, including get birth control, purchase Sudafed, or acquire food stamps. So that's uh, that's our nation's values uh, in sort of in a nutshell there. Ari Berman of Mother Jones noted that there was 33 gun deaths a year. He says, let's make it easier to buy guns, whereas there was 31 cases of voter impersonation at the polling place since 2000. Let's make it harder to vote. That is exactly what we have done. All right. uh, On Friday, uh, another story that I want to follow up on here. Uh, After news broke that indictments had been filed by special counsel Robert Mueller's team against 13 Russians, three Russian organizations uh, who the grand jury indictments allege uh, illegally interfered in the 2016 presidential election by posting anti-Hillary Clinton and pro-Donald Trump messages on social media, after in response to that story, I noted that many of the messages that these Russian social media accounts were allegedly posting were by and large straight off of Fox News and straight out of the GOP playbook, claiming that Democrats were committing voter fraud, for example. While that was and is bad enough on its own, I also detailed on Friday how Republicans are now upping the ante by creating their own fake news sites, literally created by, I mean, Fox News and Breitbart are bad enough, but these sites are literally created by Republican candidates and officials like the Republican Governors Association, which created a so-called news outlet called the Free Telegraph. They meant it to to look like a legitimate news site, but they don't and they don't let readers know that it was actually created by the RGA, by the Republican Governors Association uh, or Congressman uh, Devin Nunes out here in California. He created a, a site called the California Republican, 
or uh, the site which endorsed Arizona Republican U.S. candidate Kelly Ward while disparaging her opponents, her Republican opponents. Ward touted the endorsement from the so-called Arizona Monitor as if it was a big endorsement for her. But the site, if one bothers to pay attention, is clearly a pro-Ward fake news site set up to support her campaign. Though the creator of the site is, is still anonymous, at least as of now. Well, another anonymous fake news site created by American Republicans, not Russians, but American Republicans that may have already directly affected an election is the so-called Maine Examiner. Politico reported last week that shortly after uh, last December's mayoral election in Lewiston, Maine, the state's second largest city, the anonymous uh, so-called news site started attacking Democratic candidate Ben Chin as an out-of-touch elitist. On uh, In early December, the site posted the headline, Leaked email, Ben Chin says Lewiston voters are a bunch of racists. Now, Chin actually had said no such thing. The story still spread around town after it was on this fake news site called the Maine Examiner. Nine days later, Chin ended up losing uh, the election by just 145 votes. In January, Lewiston's Sun Journal newspaper, a real newspaper, reported on the links between the Maine Republican Party and this so-called Maine Examiner. The paper discovered that metadata for a number of the photos on the site listed the state's GOP executive director, a guy by the name of Jason Savage, as the author. Savage and the Maine Republican Party had not commented on the matter uh, by that time to uh, Politico or to any of the other papers who were looking into this. They did not return calls. But uh, furious local Democrats claimed that an organized Republican fake news attack cost Chin the election. And now it seems the Republicans have finally been forced to fess up. The executive director of the Maine Republican Party has admitted that he created, he runs, and he writes articles for this pro-Republican anonymous website that has come under fire from the Democrats in the state. Attorneys for Jason Savage wrote to the Maine Commission of Governmental Ethics, where a complaint had been filed by Democrats charging uh, the site had slandered Chin, their mayoral candidate, and Savage has admitted that he operates the Maine Examiner, quote, on his own free time and does not utilize Maine Republican Party resources, according to the Maine News Center. So he's just this isn't really a part of a this isn't a Republican effort. This is just something that uh, the head of the Maine Republican Party just does as a hobby. Yeah, just on, on the side. Time. has let nothing me, to do with let me anything. slander a political opponent. It's just me. Right. It's not the Republicans. The letter asserted that the website was a proper news site. It's not subject to state campaign finance disclosure laws, as state Democrats are alleging. It describes itself uh, as being run by, quote, a small group of Mainers who simply publish Maine news, trends and interesting pieces about you, the people of Maine. Doesn't give anybody's name or anything else. So, yeah, this is a problem. It's, it's a problem that there are foreign entities doing something similar, but that's uh, something that all parties should find inappropriate, despite the fact that, yes, we, the USA, we do it too. The U.S. has long meddled in others' elections and still does. But if, if Russians figured out how to use fake news to affect an election, they first picked up the technique from Republicans who have been 
making such false claims for years, these baseless voter fraud claims, for example. But now uh, not only are Republicans apparently not doing much of anything to prevent it before 2018 in the future, they're now doubling down and doing it themselves. And uh, at least until getting caught, uh, they're just lying about it. All the while, they and their uh, leader, Donald Trump, are claiming real news is fake news. This is a mess, and it is uh, getting much messier. All right. Well, for a party which thinks that, that, that it's better for America that uh, Republicans are in control than Democrats, well, the GOP sure does have to cheat a lot in order to make that happen, including by rigging our electoral system in order to win. The state Supreme Court of Pennsylvania has now released a new U.S. House map for 2018 after the Republican-controlled legislature failed to create one that the Democratic governor could also approve. Well, the court has now done it themselves. What does that mean for the 2018 elections and more broadly for partisan gerrymanders elsewhere in the country? We will speak to an expert who knows who worked on the only other partisan gerrymandering case to be ruled on by a state Supreme Court. That was a case down in Florida. We'll talk to him about all of this next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. How quaint. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, we have been following the uh, the back and forth battles between state Republicans and the state Supreme Court, which is a majority Democratic court, by the way, over the U.S. House congressional map in Pennsylvania that has been in place since 2011 when, following the 2010 census, the Republican-controlled state legislature drew those maps in the otherwise 50-50 partisan state that resulted election after election in Republicans holding 13 U.S. House seats to the Democrats' five. Despite the fact that many statewide officials are now, uh, statewide offices, I should say, are now held by Democrats, and Democrats have a nearly half a million vote partisan advantage in voter registration in the state, the GOP maps were finally found in January to have been an unconstitutional gerrymander under the state constitution, which resulted in the Pennsylvania Supremes ordering new maps from the GOP legislature to be agreed upon by the state's Democratic governor in time for the upcoming U.S. House primaries, which begin in March in Pennsylvania. If you haven't been paying attention, you will be shocked to learn that state Republicans and Democrats were unable to agree on a new map. With the Republicans in the state legislature putting forward several versions that by and large retained their U.S. House majority, leaving some 70 percent of voters in the same districts, Democrats charged those maps were still unlawful partisan gerrymanders. 
As the legislature and the governor failed to meet the court order deadline by the uh, by the state Supreme Court, which, by the way, has its own five to three Democratic advantage. Yes, they actually put these justices on the ballot for election in Pennsylvania. In any event, that court, as promised, since the uh, state legislature and the governor could not agree, they have now released their own maps that will now be used for the crucial 2018 midterms in the Keystone State, overturning the Republican gerrymander that has been used in the past three congressional elections. According to The Washington Post today, the new map more closely reflects the partisan composition of the state, all but ensuring that Democrats will pick up several new U.S. House seats in November. It's also more compact than Republicans' original map, and it splits fewer counties and municipal areas, which was a key concern of the court as it sought to ensure voters' ability to participate in free and equal elections. There's an idea. The original Republican-drawn map had become the uh, the butt of national jokes due to its reliance on strange and sprawling shapes to create a balance of electoral power heavily tilted toward the GOP, with uh, the Democratic uh, candidates for the state's 18 U.S. House seats uh, tending to capture about half of the statewide popular votes. Nonetheless, that translated into just five of the 18 seats in each election held since the 2018, uh, 2011 redistricting. In response to a lawsuit filed by the League of Women Voters, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court in January ordered these new maps to be drawn uh, because the Republican ones, they said, were, quote, clearly, plainly, and palpably in violation of the state's constitution. The Republicans' plan was, quote, aimed at achieving unfair partisan gain, the court found, and undermined voters' ability to exercise their right to vote in free and equal elections if the term is to be interpreted in any credible way, the court said. The, uh, the court's new maps addressed the old map's partisan imbalance by creating a new map that contains eight districts that were won by Democrat Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election and 10 that were, that were won by uh, the Republican Donald Trump. That suggests, the Post says, that it is possible that Dem Pennsylvania Democrats could see a net gain of three or even four seats in the November election under the new maps if they are not blocked somehow by a federal court. Michael McDonald, an elections expert at the University of Florida, said the new uh, Pennsylvania map shares characteristics with a court-drawn map in Florida, he said we've now had two state Supreme Courts, Florida and Pennsylvania, order the creation of fairer congressional redistricting plans for their states that obviously are more compact uh, and respect more political boundaries than the Republican gerrymanders that they replace. Dave Wasserman, House editor for the Cook Political Report, writes that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court maps uh, that that map doesn't just undo the GOP's gerrymander. He charges it goes further, actively helping Democrats compensate for their natu natural geographic disadvantage in Pennsylvania. Well, what does that mean exactly? For Democrats and Republicans, for Pennsylvania and the U.S. House and for other states where House districts and state assemblies have been partisan gerrymandered by whoever tends to control the state house, 
geographic disadvantages uh, may be hurting Democrats, along with the partisan gerrymanders put in place purposely by Republicans. It should be noted here, by the way, that uh, redistricting expert David Daly told us recently on the show that the GOP has, after the 2010 census, redistricted in a partisan gerrymandered way that has never been seen before in this country. Part of what they called their Red Map project to add 20 to 25 U.S. House seats just by controlling the, leg- the state legislatures at the time of redistricting after the 2010 census. Joining us now to shed some light on all of this is Brian Amos. He's a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Florida, where his research explores the cross-section of geography and politics with an emphasis on redistricting, he his uh, dissertation focuses on the post-2010 congressional redistricting of Florida specifically, where he served as an analyst for the team that was the first in the nation to successfully challenge a Republican-drawn district plan on partisan gerrymandering grounds. He also worked as a consultant, um, an, a consulting expert, I should say, in Maryland, where Democrats were found to have created partisan gerrymandered districts themselves in a case that is currently pending at the U.S. Supreme Court, along with the U.S. House map of the entire state of North Carolina, the state district maps in Wisconsin and more, um, where uh, federal courts have found those two to have been partisan gerrymandered by Republicans. Brian Amos, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brad. I, I know you worked on the only other state Supreme Court case that ordered new district maps due to partisan gerrymandering, as I understand it, but uh, that would be the case in uh, the state of uh, Florida. But let me start with your general top-line reaction uh, as an academic, I guess, to the redistricted U.S. House map produced on Monday by the Pennsylvania St- Supreme Court. Is it as good for Democrats as analysts are saying and as Republicans are now complaining? Uh, well, I, I certainly think it's better than even the Democrats put forward. So, um, mm. before the um, you know the court released their own plan mm-hmm. or the one that the special master drew on their behalf, um, the process was open for these interested groups to submit plans. So, the House Democrats, the Senate Democrats, Lieutenant Governor, Governor, um, they all had kind of a crack at you know submitting plans that they would like to see replace this gerrymander that was struck down. And uh, they tended to be in sort of the range of, um, you know, seven Democratic districts, 11 Republican districts, Mm -hmm. whereas this map that was put forward by the special master is uh, eight Democratic districts and 10 Republican districts. Um, Some of that can be chalked up to, I think there was a little bit of incumbent protection that the Democrats were going for. But, yeah, I, I certainly think this is a... I mean, it's certainly much better than what was in place before. It's better than what was put forward by the uh, re- Republicans in the legislature as what they wanted to replace the mm-hmm. gerrymander with. But yeah, I, I doubt they could ask for a you know a better map than this one. Well, I ask uh, because I'm wondering: is it good for Democrats because it balances out what had been so bad? In other words, it makes it better, or or does it? actually give a partisan advantage now to Democrats as Republicans are complaining. I mean, that seems odd because as as everyone sort of uh, universally agrees here, this version creates 
10 districts that went for Donald Trump and just eight that went for Hillary Clinton in 2016. So it's still giving a Republican advantage, it seems, 10 to 8. So what is their complaint? What is the Republicans' complaint here? Well, as you mentioned uh, before, you know, there's there's this idea that Democrats and Republicans sort themselves throughout a state differently uh, than each other. Democrats tend to live in densely Democratic areas, Mm -hmm. you know, cities, whereas Republicans tend to live in areas that are a bit more balanced, you know, maybe like 60% Republican, 40% Democrat, those kind of regions. Mm -hmm. So the argument tends to be that, um, you know, if we have to draw geographic districts, it's harder to kind of spread out those Democrats across districts in order to make an even balance of Democrat versus Republican. So in a lot of cases, I think you'll see something like what we saw from the, the court's map, where it's, you know, as fair as you can get, but it's still 10-8. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's 10 Trump districts, 8 um, uh, Clinton districts. But I think it, that advantage does get overstated um, in terms of how much bias that introduces. I mean, the fact of the matter is that um, the court put out these neutral criteria that all these people who submitted maps were supposed to follow. Mm-hmm. So are the districts compact? Uh, do they split cities? Do they split counties? You know, those sort of, you know, what everybody agrees a good map should have. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can measure these things. You can put numbers on these things. And the map that uh, the special master put forward for, on behalf of the court is pretty much the best on all of these measures, um, or at least comparable on all these measures. Um, it's certainly better than the map that the uh, Republican legislature put forward. Mm-hmm. Um, in that case, they're better on all measures. So either this, you know, this idea that uh, packing is, you know, has a huge bias against Democrats, either that's incorrect or, you know, the Republicans just dropped the ball. Um, you know, they got too greedy and they never put forward a map that was good on these neutral criteria, you know, that would be comparable to the map that the court put forward so that they could say, look, there, there is some Democratic bias going on here from the special master. Well, the 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 map that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court called for uh, called for it to be you know fairly divided geographically, and I know that's uh, one of your expertise. But let's say that all the Democrats, because this comes up in in a lot of states and a lot of these arguments where the you know they describe Democrats as being uh, you know sort of self segregated by by living in the cities, Republicans living in the rural areas. But, you know, let's say that all of the Democrats in the entire state of Pennsylvania, let's say they all moved to Philadelphia for some reason and Republicans lived everywhere else. Wouldn't there be a case to be made that Philadelphia itself should then be divided up into simply more districts? In other words, shouldn't the population of voters themselves uh, have much more of an effect on the separation of districts than just plain old uh, geography, like county lines and so forth? Uh, I mean, there, there's certainly an argument to be made for that. Um, I mean, you're making the argument for proportional representation, which, um, you know, I think has a lot of merits to it. Um, unfortunately, I guess if you're a Democrat in that situation, um, we are a country that bases these districts on uh, geography. And the Supreme Court has said kind of repeatedly that proportional representation is not um, not a constitutional guarantee. Um, You know, in the past, they've even said that partisan gerrymandering might be something that they would, you know, come down on. Mm -hmm. They've reiterated that, you know, 
proportional representation is not guaranteed. So, yeah, I, I certainly have, you know, have my moments where I wonder why can't we just do proportional representation instead, but um, that's something we, people would have to organize around and change the law. It's, it's not something that um, probably will do well in court, at ha- least has this, how it is now. Has this always been uh, the case where uh, it's always been divided by uh, geography more so than population, so that if you had city dwellers who happen to vote in one way and, and rural folks who, who voted in another, they would end up with more of an advantage than uh, the other party? Or is this something new that we've seen in, in recent years? Um, I think the this, this sort of urban-rural split um, is something that I guess, part of the kind of polarization of the parties themselves and you know the, the sorting of mm-hmm. um, people to the parties. So, um, I, I mean, the Part of the problem is that, you know, if we're talking 30 years ago, there just wasn't the, you know, technology and the level of detail in breaking down populations to make this sort of, you know, um, gerrymander that Pennsylvania used to have. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also an aspect of um, where, you know, where people live, you know, who people vote for, uh, that that is slowly polarized uh, over time. There has been a veritable dam bursting uh, of of court rulings of late, mostly yeah. federal court rulings. Uh, Pennsylvania and Florida has been uh, the really the two exceptions. How does the uh, Florida case? And I want to ask you more about that. But how does the Florida case that you worked on? Um, how does that mirror the one we're seeing in Pennsylvania? And how was the case in Florida ultimately resolved? Well, Florida was a little bit different because. Um Back in 2010, so we have the uh, initiative process here um, mm-hmm. where we can kind of bypass the legislature, put things on the ballot to be directly voted on, mm-hmm. and go into the Constitution. And they, uh, voters here passed essentially an anti-gerrymandering constitutional amendment mm-hmm. um, where partisan gerrymandering was explicitly banned. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in Pennsylvania, it's not so much the partisan gerrymandering that's explicitly banned. It's, it's that compactness, that mm-hmm. splitting uh, counties that was the real meat of why that initial map got struck down. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we saw a lot of the same things where, um, you know, the, the Republicans who had, you know, overwhelming control of the state government at the time, and, and still do, for that matter, mm-hmm. um, they, you know, essentially got greedy. They, they tried to push these requirements as far as they could go. Um, it actually goes a step further in terms of where the ruling was decided because it was revealed in litigation that, you know, the the legislature was talking to Republican consultants who were kind of feeding maps back and forth. Mm. So um, you know, there was direct evidence of partisanship going on mm-hmm. where that was actually banned in our state. Um, but, you know, it ended up Actually, being very similar in another way is once that initial map got struck down, they threw it back to the legislature, and they were unable to pass something to to replace it. So it ended up getting thrown to the Supreme Court to kind of pick among different maps that were, uh, you know, being presented mm-hmm. by interested groups, and they ended up picking one uh, drawn by the League of Women Voters. So uh, that's 
And it was yeah. the League of Women Voters who uh, who sued against this partisan gerrymandering, sued successfully against this partisan gerrymandering in Pennsylvania. Uh, did th- just just so we can know what uh, lie ahead in this Pennsylvania contest, uh, because the Republicans in Pennsylvania have said they're going to or they're suggesting they want to take some kind of action. The U.S. Supreme Court has already rejected an earlier plea from the uh from the state Republicans to put a stay on this ruling. They said essentially saying, you know, no, this was a state court ruling. This was a state Supreme Court. Uh, But they didn't say that explicitly. The case wasn't actually heard on its merits. And so Republicans are now saying in Pennsylvania are now saying they're going to try to find a friendly federal court somehow to put a stay on this. Was any similar effort carried out uh, by state Republicans in Florida after that state Supreme Court? Uh, chose the maps? I mean, because essentially the Republicans, their argument is that the U.S. Constitution says that it is state legislatures, not uh, not state courts, not the executive branch that gets to determine these districts. That's the argument they're uh, they have been trying to make. Did that argument have any luck in the in the Florida case? Um, No, they actually didn't uh, take that step. And I guess that's not surprising. It's I'm obviously not a lawyer, but mm-hmm. it's it's an interesting sort of argument to make because, I mean, the idea is that the previous map uh, violated the Constitution. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no constitutional map available, and then the legislature and the governor failed to put something else in place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if the legislature and the governor had maybe decided on a map and had agreed on it, I feel like there might have been some sort of argument there, but the fact that the only other map that's around is that unconstitutional map that got struck down, you know, something needs to take its place. And we've seen in plenty of other states and plenty of other contexts, when the state fails to pass a map, somebody has to step in, and that's always been the courts. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, maybe they'll find some friendly um, federal court somewhere, but it, it it seems like a, a stretch, and it, it wasn't an argument that the the Florida Republicans attempted. So we have seen all of these, as I mentioned, this sort of dam bursting on uh, partisan gerrymanders. Uh, racial gerrymanders have have long been determined to be unconstitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court, but we're we're sort of waiting now on this uh, partisan gerrymandering case that uh, was up in Wisconsin, and then the Maryland case became a part of it, and all of these other cases are sort of on hold uh, in in uh, North Carolina, in Texas, and so forth, uh, waiting on the U.S. Supreme Court cases. Uh, U.S. Supreme Court to decide this spring if partisan gerrymandering does, in fact, violate the U.S. Constitution. Yet, while we're waiting for that, all of these maps that were found unconstitutional by uh, federal courts, all of those maps have been used for at least three elections since the 2010 census and the 2011 redistricting. The um, you know, this yeah. this effort has been a huge success for the GOP that they put in place specifically after the 2010 election. Is there any way to draw these maps that avoids partisan gerrymandering, no matter who is in control of a state legislature at the at the time of uh, of a new census? I mean, we'll we'll have another one of these in uh, in 2020. Democrats hope to control more House uh, state House seats by then. But, you know. 
they'll probably be accused of uh, creating their own gerrymandered maps. Is it even possible to draw fair maps somehow in a system that essentially gives the power to partisans to do it? Well, I, I think that's uh, your point raises, you know, what, what's the opposite of that? And we find that in, you know, st- states like California and Arizona, where we they don't put the that power into the hands of politicians. They've um, passed constitutional amendments through the ballot initiative to place that power into the hands of independent commissions, mm-hmm. you know, staffed by citizens with uh, partisan balances based on, you know, their, their voter registration. And I think on the whole, they've done pretty good jobs at, at drawing fair maps. Um, you know, I, I mean, you're absolutely right. The, the incentive is always going to be there if you have politicians drawing the maps for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the big question is going to be, well, how the Supreme Court decides um, whether, you know, they maybe they punt again like they've been doing for the past 20 years or so, and, you know, we'll have the status quo. But, you know, the hope is that they'll come down with some sort of a decision where, you know, it makes it clear what a, a gerrymander is, and it'll be something we can measure in advance. Um, so the issue with the Wisconsin case that's now in front of the Supreme Court was Mm -hmm. a big part of the evidence that was put forward was that um, under the map, uh, they had elections in 2012 and 2014. And one of those elections, Democrats got more votes. And another one, Republicans got more votes. It was close, but they each got slight margins in those Mm -hmm. two elections. And in both cases, uh, Republicans had huge margins in terms of seats they won. You know, I I believe it was 60 or above in, Mm -hmm. in both cases out of 99. Um, if that were the standard, we would have the exact problem you're talking about, where we would have to have a couple elections under a map before we could say, you know, this is a gerrymander, look, we have the evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be terrible. There, there would be incentive, again, we might as well gerrymander, if you're the party in control, we might as well gerrymander. You know, maybe it'll get struck down, but we'll at least get two elections, three elections out of it. That seems to be um, where we are now, yeah. Right, so the hope is that... Um, and this this happens with racial gerrymandering. We they can be challenged in advance. Um, you know, p- hopefully looking at previous elections and kind of um, you know like we're doing right now when we say that you know um, Clinton won eight districts, Trump won ten districts, something mm-hmm. like that. Hopefully we can the Supreme Court picks some sort of test where we can apply kind of previous information forward into the future, looking at a new map so that they can get struck down before they take effect. Um, but, you know, that that's all up in the air until, yep. you know, June or whenever the Supreme Court finally makes their decision. Right, and it won't uh, take effect in any event uh, before right. the 2018 election, other than in Pennsylvania, where it was a state court. And frankly, I don't have much confidence in this U.S. Supreme Court, given that they struck down the uh, central part of the Voting Rights Act that did what you're talking about, uh, you know, was able, allowed people to uh, look in advance and uh, uh, challenge a case rather than waiting until after they had been adversely affected by it. That was the part of the, uh, that was Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act that this U.S. Supreme Court struck down. So, uh, boy, I guess we're all just waiting for June to see (laughs) what what they're going to do. Waiting on... Waiting on Justice Kennedy to see what he what he says. You're right. Yeah.
Yeah, the one guy who's going to decide this uh, for so many of us for the next decade, at least. Brian Amos, uh, Amos, really appreciate you joining us here today to, to help us make some sense of this. Uh, you can find Brian's work on his uh, personal website, brianamos.com. You should follow him on the Twitters at Brian Amos. Uh, he is a, ge- a geography and politics Ph.D. candidate at the University of Florida. Greatly appreciate you joining us today, Brian. All right. Thanks again, Brad. You bet. And we'll probably bother you again in the future. Thank you, sir. All right. Okay, quick break. And we are back with our ninth anniversary Green News Report and the delightful Desi Doyen. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. We really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. And real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media, you know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump, must be able to continue the fight for all of us. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Nine years of uh, trying to stop the world from uh, <laughs> overheating uh, Desi Doyen. And all the rest. And all the rest. Boy, you must be exhausted after nine years. <laughs> I know I am. I know this uh, last year alone feels like nine years. But let's get to it in celebration, our latest Green News report. On his return from Milan, he flew on Emirates in one of the world's most luxurious business class cabins. EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt now under scrutiny for luxury air air travel. I don't spend any time with polluters. Right. <laughs> I prosecute polluters. Right. In reality, EPA enforcement against polluters is down, way down. Judge rules against Trump's Department of Energy. Plus, surprise, deodorants, perfumes, paints, and pesticides are all contributing to air pollution. All of those surprises and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Trump's EPA chief, he's under fire because he's been flying first class. And the reason he says he has to is because people in coach yell at him. (laughs) He says it's a very toxic environment politically. You know what else is a very toxic environment? The environment. (laughs) This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we start with congratulations in order. This is our ninth anniversary yeah. for the Green News Report. Yep. You are now in your 10th year of bringing us six minutes of independent Green News. Politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Thank you. You'd think I would remember it after all of those years. <laughs> uh, congratulations to you. And you as well. Thank you. And my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate 
to congratulate both of us. We could use your help to continue the Green News Report into our 10th year. So thanks again to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out. We rely on you to stay on our public airwaves. What do you have for us today, Desi Doyen? Well, the Inspector General of the Environmental Protection Agency is looking into Administrator Scott Pruitt's unprecedented spending on a personal security detail and his penchant for first-class travel. The EPA claims that Pruitt must travel first-class around the world on the taxpayer's dime because, as as he told the New Hampshire Union leader of the, quote, very toxic environment politically that has led to incidents on flights reportedly consisting of Americans in coach saying mean things to him like you're effing up the environment. I wonder how the political environment got so toxic. Did uh, his predecessor, Jenna McCarthy, face no kind of security threats from the from the public when flying on airplanes? Oh, she did. But she still traveled coach. Imagine that. But don't let Pruitt's travel scandal distract you. Oh, I won't. From the fact that the EPA's enforcement against actual polluters is down, way down. In a recent interview with Time magazine, Pruitt claimed he is enforcing pollution law. I'm a former attorney general. I've led a, I've led a grand jury. I know what it means to prosecute people. We already have, and I will. But in reality, according to the EPA's own numbers, enforcement actions against industrial polluters during Pruitt's first year in office is actually down 44% compared to the first-year enforcement records of previous administrations. Imagine that. For example, the Obama EPA in its first year launched nearly 400 enforcement actions, but Pruitt's EPA has initiated only 115. Well, maybe that's because people were calling them names. Just last week, Pruitt's EPA dramatically reduced a proposed fine against agribusiness giant Syngenta for violating pesticide regulations that resulted in farm workers in Hawaii being exposed to the toxic pesticide chlorpyrifos. The Obama EPA had proposed a $5 million fine against Syngenta, but Trump's EPA dropped that down to just $150,000 plus an additional $400,000 for farm worker training programs. It pays to pollute. Meanwhile, a new study suggests that common house Household products can be significant contributors to air pollution. Researchers were trying to understand why the shift to cleaner cars and trucks hasn't led to even greater reductions in air pollution, and they found that petroleum-based chemicals used in paints and pesticides and personal care products like your deodorant and perfumes are having an impact. They found that a lot of these chemicals from everyday products called volatile organic compounds wind up in the air, and combined, they can emit as much air pollution as our cars and trucks. Wow, you are so not fun, Desi Doyen. <laughs> well, there is finally some good news. A federal judge has ordered the Trump administration's Department of Energy to stop delaying new rules that strengthen energy efficiency standards for appliances so consumers can finally save some money. Save some money and save the planet without having to use so much energy. So that is good news. Has the Department of Energy said they are going to appeal that decision yet all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court? No word on that yet. Oh, just wait for it. Thank you. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. And remember, our Green News Report is always free to you, though we do thank those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us keep going into our 10th year. 
as we celebrate the ninth anniversary of the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Rock on, Desi Doyen. Nine <laughs> years. Nine years. You know, I'm thinking back to when we started the Green News Report. Um, it was not long after Barack Obama had taken office. That's right, about a month later. And the big fight at the time was in Congress on the cap and trade bill to uh, to try to cap carbon emissions and, and essentially charge for pollution. Yeah, charge polluters to... for polluting. That's it. That money would have gone to the federal government. Uh, it was uh, the Democrats controlled the House and the Senate at the time. The Democrats passed it in the House, couldn't pass it in the U.S. Senate. Well, it wasn't brought up for a vote in the Senate. Uh, majority leader at the time, Harry Reid of Nebraska, said, I don't think we can get this passed. It's too difficult. We're not going to bring it up and suffer a crushing loss that will uh, ruin our chances of passing any climate legislation for a generation. And oh, surprise. We still haven't gotten any climate change legislation, any kind of market price on carbon or pollution of any kind for almost a generation. At the federal level. There have been uh, some northeastern states have done it. Uh, California and other states have done it. Oh, yeah. It's been wildly successful in the states that have tried it. And has brought in a lot of money to those states. Oh, billions in revenue. That would have been brought into the federal government. Uh, and thus making it uh, difficult to for even Donald Trump to do away with uh, such a program and give up all of that uh, revenue coming in. Right. Uh, so the Democrats blew it. Now, of course, I should say at the time, all of the Republicans were against it. Exactly. A handful of Democrats were against it, and that's what made it impossible to overcome the 60-vote right. filibuster in the Senate. Yeah. But uh, boy, That's where we are. <laughs> they had a good chance back then. Uh, and, uh, well, things have only gotten more difficult ever since then. And, uh, frankly, the planet has gotten much worse and warmer and more dangerous since right. then. This is going to be a generational challenge, and we continue to fight for what's right forever, as long as it takes. And actually, that's uh, a number of generations. Yeah. <laughs> when you say generational, it's already been almost a generation since we started the Green News Report. And it will continue to be from uh, here on out. We have made it this far, not with the support of ExxonMobil, not with the support of a Shell Oil Company or anybody else, but the support of you, our listeners who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. To help us keep telling these stories that uh, the uh, corporate America and the corporate uh, media would rather not discuss. Yep. And so we really appreciate it. If you can stop by bradblog.com slash donate, your support actually helps us to offer this so that people all over the country and people all over the world can hear this independent energy and environment green news report. Which you have been on for a long time before anyone else really in the uh, corporate media was talking about it. All right. We got to get out. Thank you, Des. Our producer, Desi Doyen. My thanks to our guest today, Brian Amos of University of Florida. And to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. You can download this show or any other that we've ever done for free at bradblog.com. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>